I'm just going to give a little warning. Um, I, I do not mean to, uh, when I uh, speak on this uh, passage a bit later, uh, I don't mean to offend anyone. Uh, yes, it might challenge a few of us. Uh, I don't want you to look around the room and uh, think, oh, they're a bit like this, or they're a bit like this. Um, let, let's be uh, gentle with each other. Um, but I realize that uh, in me uh, inquiring of God as to what to, to share with you and being drawn to this and a, a couple of other articles where I've got some train of thought, um, I realize it could be a little challenging for us. So please bear with us. But let's um, look at Acts uh, chapter 2. I know in our adult summer school lesson we've been looking our way through uh, Acts, so it's a little bit of a, an echo. Acts chapter 2, uh, we'll read from uh, verse 36. So we're picking this up uh, near the end of, of Peter's discourse. He, he's giving his, his first uh, evangelistic sermon uh, to a, a big crowd of people. And uh, he kind of summarizes things by saying, So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. Peter's words pierced their hearts. And they said to him and the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you and to your children and even to the Gentiles. All who have been called by the name of, uh, by the Lord our God. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging all his listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day about 3,000 in all. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshipped together at the temple each day met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day 
the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. May God bless us as we consider this in our lives today. I wonder if you will permit me to take off my jacket. Sleeves rolled up already for action. I wonder if you can remember uh, back 53 days. What were you doing 53 days ago? Now, just to help you a little bit, uh, I will tell you that it was a Tuesday. It was the 19th of June. Can you remember what you were doing 53 days ago? You can. If anyone can, I don't know if you would dare even to uh, uh, think of or share of what you were doing, but I'm not asking for us to go around the room as such, but uh, I can tell you that I had to look up on my uh, diary and I realized that I was at our uh, church's um, uh, camp meeting, working with the, the young people. And oh, you were looking up in your diary. Yes, I see uh, one or two people that I bumped into there at camp meeting. Um, and that's where I was 53 days ago, um, trying to keep myself busy, or at least to give that appearance. But what was Peter doing? 53 days prior to our scripture reading. I mean, he gave this little evangelistic sermon and we picked up on our scripture reading uh, right at the end of it. But what was Peter doing 53 days prior to this big, bold proclamation? Let, let me remind you, Peter, at least that evening, that night, was standing by a fire. He'd already been in the garden with Jesus. He'd already said uh, just hours before that, you know, I, I'll stand up for you, Jesus. I'll, I'll do anything. I'll go anywhere. You can rely on me, Jesus. But there, late at night, Maybe it was just the tiredness was kicking in. Standing there by the fire. And one by one, three different people look at him and say, um, weren't you with Jesus? Oh, no, 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 you must be mistaken. No, oh, no, it wasn't me, it wasn't me. And someone else, well, I'm sure, sure, you, you must have been. No, 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 it wasn't me. Must have been someone else, mistaken identity. And an hour or so later, someone else comes to him and says, You must have been with Jesus. You're a Galilean. You must have been with Jesus. No way. Not me. 53 days before this sermon that Peter spoke. Peter had been standing by a fire, denying Jesus. 
A lot happened in 53 days. Jesus died, was resurrected, appeared before the disciples. Jesus had this conversation with Peter, effectively reinstating him, encouraging him. Look, yeah, you, you denied me, but I'm cool with that. It's all right. I'm ready to invite you back. And when you come back, Peter, I've got a job for you. You know, that alone, I know it's jumping back a, a few stories, but that alone encourages me that when I mess up, when I, when I am hesitant to proclaim Jesus, that isn't the end. God doesn't turn around and say, oh, forget you. He's ready to say, okay, you were hesitant last time. You even denied me last time. But I've got another job for you. Jesus reinstates Peter. He says to Peter, I want you to feed my sheep. And Peter, as part of this bigger group that we read after he sees Jesus' ascension, he, he meets with the people. And he's part of, of working out, okay, who, who do we get to replace Judas? Uh, Peter, always ready to open his mouth, always ready to say something. He's helping Get everyone together. You know what we need to do? We need to be praying. And they met there together continually, regularly, over a 10-day period since Jesus had ascended, praying and praying and praying together. And then we have this day of Pentecost experience. A sound like a, a whirring wind. And, and it, it's such a strange sound that people start gathering. And they, they come and they find this body of believers. And, and Peter steps forward in his bold kind of way. And he's ready to speak up again. This time he's not ready to speak up and say, I don't know Jesus. He's ready to speak up and say, this Jesus who you crucified. Quite a different attitude. With the boldness and the power of the Holy Spirit, Peter is ready to speak up and speak out. The equation of adding to their number is what I call this little talk. And there's a whole lot more to it, and I don't want to oversimplify things. But I see some interesting things happen in order for God to make this miracle of multiplication happen. This adding to their number daily. The followers of Jesus were meeting together. They were praying and praying and praying anticipating this presence of God, the Holy Spirit, to fall on in their lives. They didn't quite know what was going to happen. I mean, they, they had been sent out by Jesus before. They, Jesus had sent them out to, to go and preach from village to village and town to town. Jesus had given them this power of the Holy Spirit before to perform miracles. So it wasn't like this was all totally new, but they were waiting and waiting for the fulfillment of this promise again. 
something was going to happen. And it did. And they started speaking in other languages. And I don't want to kind of distract myself or, or get uh, sidetracked in our sermon about what that was all about. Um, just the, the kind of summary, the spoiler of, of uh, what that was about was there were people from other languages there. And the whole point of them being able to speak other languages was so that they could proclaim Jesus to other people in their languages. Anything that happens, and the small group of us that were in our Sabbath school lesson this morning, uh, we were kind of touching on us. Anything that happens, these miraculous signs, uh, Dorcas being raised back to life, why was it, why was Dorcas raised back to life? It was to bring glory to God so that the good news of the name of Jesus Christ would spread throughout the land, at least the neighborhood. Whenever anything happens, it's always to bring glory to God. It's not just because it's on our shopping list. It's what we want. So Peter stands up in front of the crowd of people that have gathered that are saying, wow, I understand what they're talking about in my language. And amazed, they listen to, to Peter as well. And as he, he gives this uh, account of, of the, the plan of God, they suddenly realize, you know, it's fairly accusative though, isn't it? Peter saying, this Jesus whom you crucified. That's quite accusative. It's not inviting, is it? Maybe it's just the way I read it and the voice that I put it on it. This Jesus whom you crucified. They were pierced to the heart. And then they asked the question. Okay. What do we do next? If we've messed up, if we've made mistakes, what do we do next? Where do we go from here, Peter? And then Peter's got his opportunity. This is what he's been building up to. Where do you go from here? Where you go from here is you repent of your sins. <clears throat> you get baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of the sins, your sins. And you wait for the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit to fall into your life too. Because amazing things will happen. I wonder what stage each of us are at with that repentance, turning to God, being baptized in the name of the Jesus Christ and receiving the Holy Spirit. Because when we receive the power and presence of the Holy Spirit, amazing things happen. Amazing things happened. 3,000 people gave their life to Christ that day. I can't even imagine that. This, this was a group of people, and we don't know exactly how many people on that very morning were, were meeting together. We know that it was 9 o'clock in the morning when Peter stood up to, to preach. But the, this great crowd of people came 
And, and it says uh, just before in that uh, preceding chapter that uh, there was seemingly after the ascension, there was 120 people gathered together. Now, we've got a pretty full church. I was kind of not working with these numbers when I was doing my maths in preparation. Uh, I, don't, I haven't done a quick head count while I was sitting here, but let, let's drop the number that we've got um, from 120 to, to 80. Let, let's say that there's just 80 here. I think there's more. But let's just kind of do a little bit of, of maths, of, of working with ratios. Anyone good with ratios? Sabbath afternoon mathematics now. It's biblical, don't worry. If instead of 120 people meeting and then they grew to 3,000, if we said that there were only 80 people here, that's two-thirds, give you a little clue, two-thirds of the number, how much, if we had a day of Pentecost experience now, how much could we expect of this kind of ratio? I heard 2,000. 2,000. Can you imagine that experience in our lives now? Us meeting together, praying together, sharing our experiences together. And then suddenly something happening and the presence of God appearing in our lives. And suddenly there's crowds of people from Bennett's End standing around. The police are wondering what on earth is going on because the roundabout would be blocked. And 2,000 people saying, you know what? This Jesus that you're talking about, we want to give our lives to him. Imagine what would happen. The equation of adding to the number is the presence of the Holy Spirit in people's lives. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. This is verse 42. And to fellowship. What is fellowship? This is meeting together, encouraging each other, and sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper. It seems to me as though they're meeting together. This was people saying, we're not just going to meet together as one big group once a week. We're not just going to go up to the temple in their case. They didn't have a church to go to. They just went to their regular place of worship, although they'd found Jesus. There's a whole other thing that we could explore on that one. But they went to their regular place of worship. They were worshipping together. They were praising God. And they were meeting together in smaller groups, fellowshipping, eating meals together, and praying. Let's not forget the prayer. The end of verse 42, it's just a repeat of what these people had been doing day in, day out in this build-up for the presence of the Holy Spirit to appear. They were praying together, praying, 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 submitting themselves to God for whatever God was about to do in their lives. Then there were miraculous signs and wonders. People were selling stuff and sharing as, as people had need. You know, I, I've got surplus. I really need this. God's blessed me with this, so let me bless you with it. It says in verse 46, they worshipped together in the temple each day. 
I've mentioned that already, in, uh, met in homes for the Lord's Supper. There's an interesting perspective as well. Small groups gathering together, sharing meals, and participating in those, those usual things that were on the table. The, the bread and the wine, the, the juice, the, they would just share and, and they would remember as they're eating their meal, as they're drinking, as they're eating, Jesus gave his life for us. Bringing the everyday items into their everyday. They did it with joy and generosity. All the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. This was not usual. The disciples had been persecuted, chased, and soon after this, we, we get this resurgence of, of the, the, the Jewish leaders saying, Let, let's stamp this, this little insurrection, this, this little um, side group out. They're, they're not preaching what we preach. They're preaching about Jesus, so let's get rid of them. But at least for a while, they experienced the goodwill of people. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. The equation of adding to the number is the power and presence of the Holy Spirit in people's lives. So do we want to grow? Why would we? On a day like today, visitors or regulars, it doesn't matter. You're all here. It's great to see you. And I see just a small scattering of occasional seat available. So why would we want to grow? Why would we want to share Jesus with other people? Before I look at what affects our growth, and I won't take too long for that, I just want to challenge you as well. If Peter... 53 days before his sermon was denying Christ had an amazing experience and sequence and then the power and presence of, of, of God appeared in their lives and he was able to proclaim Jesus the way he did if that's what happened in 53 days what could happen in your life right now over the next 53 days. It'll be the 3rd of October. It's a Wednesday. Just want you to think about that. And pray about that. And when you go home. But we're talking about the equation of adding to the number. What happens then when we don't experience the adding to the number. I read an article. You can disagree with it if you like. I don't think it's conclusive necessarily, but uh, it puts forward five lies we like to tell about church growth. Now, I'm expecting one or two people to challenge me at the door. That's fine. That's what I'm here for. But I want to challenge you in sharing this with you just to provoke you a little bit. And like I said earlier, don't start looking across the room. 
Just think about yourself. Five lies we like to tell about church growth. The first one, the author suggests, is that we say that we're a friendly church. It's a lie about church growth. We say that we're a friendly church when what we mean is, my friends come here. But are we a friendly church? If you want to challenge me on it, I will give you a list of people. Well, maybe with uh, GDRP I can't, can I? But I will provoke you to think about those people that no longer worship here, that don't worship anywhere. And then I'll ask you the question, are we a friendly church? Or is it just that our friends meet here? Second lie of, uh, that we like to tell about church growth is um, growth isn't about numbers. And the suggestion by the author was that uh, uh, churches that stop growing or plateau are the ones that tend to say that. Oh, well, it, it's, it's not really about numbers. Our church isn't about numbers. It's just, just about telling people about Jesus. It's not about numbers. The thing is, we pay attention to the things that we measure because we measure the things that we value. So do we value other people? Do they mean that much to us? Because they mean a lot to God. Number three, a third lie that we tell about church growth. Our children are our future. You've all gone very quiet. Our children are our future. What do we mean by our children are our future? Do we actually mean that our, um, our children are the ones that we want to become our church? If, if it's just our children are our future, our children are the ones that we want to become our church, then we're not thinking about other people's children or other people. We're limiting ourselves. There's a potential lie that we are telling ourselves about church growth. We need to engage in the now, not just hope in the decades to come. Number four of the five lies that we like to tell about church growth, one member at a time, one by one by one. Oh, that sounds good, and maybe we do need to think about individuals. But we shouldn't be settled with just the one occasional person. What did we read in Acts? And the Lord, the presence, the power of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit added to their number one by one, once a year? Daily. That's a challenge. And I'm looking at myself on that one. That's a challenge. That does make me feel uncomfortable. What am I doing in order for the Holy Spirit to work through me that God can add to our number daily? One by one, might have limitations. We might look around and see that there isn't enough seating 
Yeah, that's quite relevant. Um, I had originally read uh, somewhere 85%, the uh, author of this article says 80%. Once we reach 80% capacity, we stop growing. It's just a natural thing. It just happens that way. So we need to think about the what next. Where are we going? Or are we just happy to fill our building with our friends? And we do need to think about our parking, worship style, or other things that limit uh, us as a church, um, and even the spaces that we have for our children can all be limitations of our growth. And number five, on the five lives that, uh, that challenge us on church growth, our church is when we say that our church wants to grow. I wonder if uh, those of you who aren't uh, thinking with your eyes shut, I wonder if you're already starting to think, has Nathan lost it? Now, why would we not want to grow? But actually saying that we want to grow could potentially be a limitation because it's a lie. Because how many of us really want our church to grow? Because growth means change. We cannot get around that in any way. Growth means change. Growth means there will be people coming through our doors, sitting in our seats, parking in our car park, that we don't know. And how comfortable do we feel about that? Growth means change. Growth means not having what you're used to, to continually be bumping into people that you just don't know. But that is the kind of growth that the Holy Spirit wants to work through each one of us. True growth will happen when we allow for the Holy Spirit to work in our lives. For us to look at those limitations and say, you know what, they don't matter. What matters most isn't just about ourselves. What matters most are the people that we meet outside. So let's read that first couple of lines again. Verse 36. So let everyone in our church know for certain that God has made this Jesus who was crucified to be both Lord and Messiah. Peter's words pierced their hearts. Hmm. I wonder if possibly Nathan's words pierced their hearts and they, the members that are listening now, said to him and to the other church leaders, what can we do now? And Nathan replied, each of you must repent of your sins 
and to turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Then you will have the equation of adding to our number daily. What will happen in the next 53 days of your life?